0: welcome to I've made a huge mistake in a development podcast I'm your host Darren and today we are going to be talking about episode number four an old start uh, itself an allusion to uh, a number plate that someone once bought in this series. Um, it was originally broadcast on the 29th of May 2018 along with the first batch of these episodes. Uh, it is written by Jim Vallli and directed by Troy Miller as pretty much every single episode in season uh, 5 was. And joining me to talk about this today is Nay Renly. Hello,
1: hello, Darren. Nice to, nice to talk to you.
0: And, uh, yeah, so this episode, uh, you know, it, it, I don't know, it's it's kind of weird because we're kind of um, still kind of stuck, I would say, <laughs> on some of the plots from the first few episodes. You know, the, the kind of the Bluth Company, um, you know, was taken over by Lucille Ostero, and uh, we kind of start with a, a joke about it um, being taken to the next level. Uh, which I think is probably one of my my favourite kind of gags in the uh, in the show, um, and you know t- we we find out basically that uh, that Job has been <laughs> put in as uh, the uh, I guess the the kind of the the you know the chair of the company. He's he's running things now, um, but he's actually running things. Which obviously we understand how bad that is going to get for everybody because. You know, in previous times when Job was in charge, he wasn't really in charge. Uh, Michael is even surprised that Job is still in charge. Um, We also get Maybe, who has (laughs) kind of decided to um, hide out uh, at a senior center uh, where she has become Annette. um, uh, Due to to the fact that she just, I I don't know, she she puts on a wig um, and just kind of starts kind of messing with all the old people, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, in particular stealing some barstools and family pictures. Um, And then we have a story where Job also buys a trophy store because he's concerned about, uh, obviously, winning his father's affection and the, uh, I I guess, the whole kind of family of the year thing, which is, for some reason, a plot that Mitch Hurwitz felt would be amusing for the first half of season five. Um, And then, of course, uh, you know, we find out a little bit about the, uh, the, um, the cottage, Uh, which apparently was where Michael used to live with his wife before she died, um, and he had believed it to have been sold, and he finds out in this episode that they didn't sell the cottage. (laughs) and there's a there's a couple of rules uh, as to as to you know what you can do while you're in the cottage but you know not telling Michael about the cottage was one of those rules uh, which a number of people break in this particular uh, episode <laughs> and we fi- we finished the episode with Michael um at the model home talking to uh, George senior because George senior is jealous that Lucille apparently might be hooking up with some guy called Dusty uh, who is a member of the Newport Beach Bay boys um who uh <laughs> Who over the years through John beard we find out have thrown rocks at a number of different people. Um, so uh, I don't know like with this season obviously um, you know due to the kind of the poor reception uh, I would say that people's kind of expectations were lowered slightly um, but I you know I didn't think it was a bad season. Uh, I think the first half was a little bit more of a slog than the second half. Uh, obviously with this being your first episode um, of I mean of this podcast but particularly of this season. Uh, what were your overall thoughts on Season 5? Uh, and then you can obviously divide those thoughts into two parts, if you wish, um, as Netflix obviously did with this show.
1: Well, I've been a big fan of Arrested Development since Season 3 was when I got into it. And uh, and I I was a staunch defender of Season 4, uh, even though I think it had some weaknesses. I think most of those had to do with scheduling and stuff. And I actually think the Season 4 Remix was a lot stronger than the real season four, uh, uh, you know, mixing it together. Um, I was a little bit confused with season five that they decided to carry forward all of the plots and just make it like a sequel to season four when I don't know why that was necessary. Like, uh, you know, I don't understand why you would want to have so many season-long arcs that need to pay off. Like it's, uh, you know, Game of Thrones or something to have like all these different threads to keep track of just to make jokes pay off when it's essentially like a, a punny comedy <laughs> uh so the first half of season five I watched it and I was I was uh you know I was okay with it I uh I was waiting for the second season and then when I for the second half and when I started watching the second half I I just started getting a, a little bit depressed about where the show had gone, and, and realizing that I could no longer really defend it too much. That said, there are still funny jokes in there. They're very Mitch Hurwitz jokes, and that's mostly what I, I'll, I'll be focusing on. <laughs> I'm, you know, accentuating the positive, and uh, on this, what I consider the fifth best season of Arrested Development. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, does it? The thing is, as well, you know, obviously, uh, the the thing that kind of Arrested Development certainly the first three seasons succeeded at was having these kind of callbacks to certain jokes, um, but at the same time, the show wasn't kind of bogged down in that. Um, uh, It's not to say that they didn't have season-long arcs, because obviously they did. You know, the entire thing with George Senior in the first season, he's in prison, you know, that's a long-running arc that gets sort of resolved at the end of the Mm -hmm. first season. Um, And then, you know, uh, the same is kind of true uh, with season two, which, you know, kind of, again, like they had they had kind of season long arcs going for pretty much the whole thing and even like when you get to the end of the original 53 episodes you know the final the final episode of those is kind of a mirror of the pilot episode and so you know but i think mitch hewitt's kind of then seemed to think that that was the thing that people liked about arrested development <laughs> and rather than the kind of like silly jokes Um, You know, and like, I think the kind of the the main kind of, I mean, there's a lot of kind of Michael back and forth in this episode. It's really weird rewatching it. I was like, this seems to be a lot of Michael driving from one place to another and then back to a different place and then back to another place. (laughs) And each time he goes to a new place, he runs into a different person or he runs into Tobias playing a different person. And that seems to be the entire of this episode is just Michael kind of going around in circles and bumping into the same people in different places. Um, and then separate to that is probably my favorite part of this episode and maybe um, I might even say this entire season, uh, which is maybe as Annette. Um, I'm guessing she's probably pretending to be Annette Astero because she pretends to be Lucille 2's sister. So I'm guessing that would be her surname. Would she ever come up with a fake surname? I don't know that <laughs> she would. have. Um, but, you know, so that I love all the stuff with Annette just because. Um, you know, there's a few kind of callbacks just to, I feel like out of all the characters Mabies is the one that kind of stayed the most true to herself in season 4 whereas I feel some of the other characters kind of veered away from, you know, kind of what made them funny, Uh, whereas I think you know, maybe was kind of just petty and angry and that really works you know, um, for her character in season season 4 in particular all the stuff in the dorm room with like voting Michael out and all that kind of stuff, like You know, um, and I think here as well, she's still kind of like she's just looking for somewhere to hide, basically, um, after, you know, her kind of misadventures in the first few episodes of this where she went to Mexico and became kind of very drunk. And, you know, uh, obviously, you know, these are kind of all of this stuff is is now kind of more obviously parallels to kind of Trump and that because, you know, obviously the, the first half of this season, you know, debuted afterwards. Um, after he'd been elected, whereas obviously season four was a couple of years before he was elected. So some of the kind of Trump parallels in season four were kind of accidental, whereas here uh, we start to get a few more kind of deliberate jokes. Um, But I just kind of like all the stuff with Annette. Um, In particular, when when she meets with George Michael and she kind of gives him the introduction to the senior centre and says, obviously, you know, from the outside, you know, the reception area, it makes it look terrible because they want to keep all the young people away. And then, you know, when, when, she, when, when she says, oh, I said it was great, and then they immediately emerge onto, like, the, you know, kind of the actual place, and, and, and they both go, oh, this is great. Like, I love the kind of the setup of her saying, I told you it was great, and then them kind of paying it off with them both literally going, oh, this is great. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just kind of love those kind of quick little jokes like that. But also the fact that, you know, when when she accidentally gets the name Annette um, by Stan Sitwell suggesting that she use Annette to catch um the uh are they geese or swans i can't remember i think they're geese uh, aren't they yeah um i, I thought she, she's trying to i catch. thought she
1: or I, I thought it was the opposite i thought he knew annette's name and she had to wiggle out of of not recognizing it immediately
0: oh yeah 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 because he says annette and she she mistakes that for a suggestion of how to catch gotcha. these birds and, and she goes yeah. have you got one and then he's like got <laughs> one what and she's like and then you see her go oh yes Annette. like like you, I, I kind of, I kind of love, and it's, it's the same thing that she did with you know when she was gonna be um, Christian, and she's like you know I need one <laughs> of those you know those tea things, and they, and they go it's a cross, and she goes across and where, uh, so obviously this kind of mishearing of words is again it's like a thing that maybe, you know I think maybe he's kind of very you know she's always been what someone who's kind of like street smart, but her actual intelligence seems to be something that's not you know, fully kind of like there, like she seems to be, you know, she's more about like grifting than actually doing any work, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and, I, I think, uh, I think kind of that, that whole thing really becomes her centerpiece in this season where she just spends most of it pretending to be an old person. Um, and then, I mean, we do see her like not as a net a few, quite a few times as well. She kind of jumps between the two. Um, throughout the season, like she's either herself or, or playing Annette. But I do, I, I mean, I love when she kind of introduces George Michael and she goes, you know, nobody here locks their doors. And she goes, why would they? You know, what is there <laughs> to steal? Bar stools and family pictures. And then literally she walks into the her kind of apartment and goes, oh, and that's where I got these bar stools <laughs> and all these family pictures. And I love, I love kind of um, Michael Sarah's kind of innocent reading where he goes, oh, that's a nice family that you've stolen for yourself. <laughs> Um, Which, of course, has... Again, it's like a wonderful double meaning because, you know, she has effectively stolen being, you know, an Austero kind of sibling. uh, But also she has literally stolen a bunch of photographs. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. I just... I really enjoy all the stuff with her. And also the fact that kind of George Michael is still there kind of saying, don't you think... You know, basically kind of saying, don't you think this is wrong? And, you know, she just keeps... She just keeps going, you know... Like, every time she kind of hears a kind of plea for her to not do this thing, she just kind of is like, oh, no, no, I'm I'm going to do this. And, you know, she's she's kind of 100% trying to stay there. But, obviously, the issue she has at this point is that Stan will, you know, kind of basically makes it clear that if Lucille, too, is dead, then he gets this apartment. Um And so, obviously, she is kind of invested in, you know, she's kind of, like, lying about it. And, again, this is where we get, like, a, a wonderful joke where, you know, he, he's like, you know, I'd like to see the paperwork. And she goes, oh, I, I lost it in Hurricane Cantina, which is... I don't even know why she calls it that. Like. like, I don't know why she mispronounces Hurricane Katrina. Um, but I guess Hurricane Katrina would have been when she was, like... I don't know a kid like it would have been when she was really young what, so what year is this uh,
1: season take place because it's it's like pretty close after the other ones right is it like 2007 or 2008 because that's what where- uh I think
0: it it's meant to be literally like within a few weeks of season five because obviously all the stuff with George Michael and Michael is still kind of uh boiling under um so it is even though there are more kind of overt Trump references in it it's still meant to be set like four or five years yeah.
1: ago so it's always more um, recent the Katrina thing then like, even though they wrote it l- way yeah. later, they're like, they make all these references to things that were more topical in, like, 2006 and seven and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, so it's, well, it's meant to, I think it's meant to be, like, four or five years after the original series finished. Um, so it's still, like, a few years ago, but it's not quite caught up to today, which is really weird that this, show, <laughs> this show's been going on this long. And they still kind of haven't mm-hmm. got anywhere near, um, like, you know, the contemporary timeline. For some reason, all of this is still in the past um
1: yeah she says i've become my father a couple of the jokes i really liked at that nursing uh retirement village thing was it's called the spotted palm which which like uh, like from a distance (laughs) looks really tropical but it was also just kind of like a skin type thing and I really like when he walks. Yeah. George Michael walks in, he says, I'm looking for a, and the receptionist says grandparent. And he says, Oh no, thanks. I have enough. <laughs> like he thinks they're offering grandparents to anyone that walks in like a candy.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's worth saying as well, kind of like there, there's like one very big kind of inside joke, um, with all this, which is that this retirement home and, and kind of where they filmed it is the same as the retirement home from transparent. Um, where Jud- oh. where Judith Light's character um uh, it it lives, uh, so it's kind of like the most <laughs> inside reference that you can possibly get, that they've basically used the same location. I think what gives it away is that kind of a water feature with like the big squares. I don't know what you would call it. I would call it like stepping stones, um, but they're too big to be stepping stones really. But that's like that's the most prominent thing that I recognized from Transparent. I was like, oh well, that looks exactly. And then when I checked up it was like, yeah, this is exactly from Transparent. <laughs> yeah, no. So yeah, that that was that was kind of a that was kind of weird. But yeah, I mean I you know, obviously I'm I'm a huge fan of the stuff that Michael Cera and Alia Short do together um pretty much throughout the entire show. Even in season four, like the kind of few times we got episodes with both of them in, uh, with mm-hmm. some of the highlights. Um, of season four and all the stuff with fake block um, you know from from kind of maybe's point of view particularly when she ended up like buying that well renting that gigantic hangar Um, (laughs) and and like it kind of like getting swept up in the fever of like fake block Um, that's some of my favorite stuff from season four is just kind of her exploiting george michael's um, as yet kind of you know non-existent fake block um, even, even in like, you know, in this season, obviously she, she does it a little less. Um, but you know, in the, in the kind of, in the previous season that, you know, that was kind of her main thing. Um, that and the fact that, you know, she still hadn't like kind of graduated from school, um, which, you know, I think they've kind of, uh, you know, they've obviously kind of, um, moved forward a little bit from that storyline because, um, you know, uh, I don't know that that storyline p- would particularly play well um, in in season five. I don't think it was even like it was a bit of a dicey storyline in season four
1: anyway. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. Um, Well, it's like she got lazy because she's still doing her same scheming, but now she's just fooling old people that are very easy to fool, can't hear and can't see very well. Yeah. uh, Whereas before she was fooling movie executives and like whoever's renting out tech places and stuff like that. (laughs) So it does feel like when she kind of had that retirement, that lifetime achievement in... uh, in season four that since then she has been kind of slipping and like kind of yeah, kind of actually getting old and, and like you know not really making it around to the other characters plots too often <laughs> just kind of hanging out
0: it's, it's kind of weird actually because obviously she got that lifetime achievement award at the um you know the kind of the kids awards in season four which effectively meant that she was retired um and so yeah. now she in this season she actually is retired in so much as she's hanging around a retirement village and pretending to be fake retired um and you know, I, I don't know. I just kind of really love how how into the character she gets. Um, and also, we like you say, yeah, she's she's only fooling old people. And she says, if anybody finds out, uh, they either forget ten minutes later or they die. Um, and I kind of I kind of like I don't know. It feels like George Michael's been a little bit corrupted because he's like, oh okay, like he he understands the scheme. Um, kind of within that, he's like, oh yeah, it makes sense. You know, this is the easy this is the easiest place for her to kind of hide, basically um but yeah i mean kind of obviously the plot line between her and stan sitwell um i would say one of the only criticisms i have of this whole storyline um uh, is that i mean in later episodes it will eventually kind of drag tobias into it and i don't think that really added a huge amount to the storyline um and uh, also i think as much as i enjoyed stan sitwell in previous seasons most of the times he would be there to make a pun on how he didn't have any hair um Whereas in this season, it feels a lot more like they've leaned on Ed Begley Jr. to kind of fill in some of the, the kind of the, the gaps. And it feels like we get just a little bit too much Stan Sitwell. And also, I I feel like, you know, they go kind of crazy with the wigs and the eyebrows. Whereas in previous seasons, it was a little bit more subtle. You know, like the the jokes about his hair and, and his eyebrows weren't as kind of obvious um, you know, they kind of there's that wonderful scene where he basically has the wig on that makes him look like his daughter and Michael thinks it is Sally and then, you know, we cut to Stan and he goes, I can't wear this, it makes me look like my daughter. Like that's that's a joke about his hair, but it's not just a joke about the fact that he's got no hair. Um and I feel like right. the kind of the, the, the kind of jokes in this season feel a lot more about how, um, you know, the kind of the wigs are less and less convincing and his eyebrows are kind of more and more ridiculous. And it just doesn't feel like a person that would be able to kind of survive in the world without at least, I mean, people just wouldn't be able to take him seriously, Um, you know. And the thing is, he's obviously meant to parallel, you know, um, George Sr. Um, But I think, you know, the kind of the saving grace of Stan Sitwell previously was that he wasn't as kind of craven as George Sr. Like George Sr. obviously cheated on Lucille all the time and all that kind of stuff. And here, you know, we've got Stan Sitwell... um, who obviously in in previous seasons, you know, he he did court Lucille too, uh, you know, reading out a, a menu and talking about sorbets. Um, That's right. <laughs> so so they have a pre-existing relationship, but here it seems to be like you know it, this is meant to be like them having an affair, and this is the place they had an affair, and I don't think that really fits with either of their characters. So. Um, you know, like she had no reason to not just like have an affair at her penthouse, you know, <laughs> like Stan Sitwell could come over there. Like there's no reason for them to have a, a like a, a, a location, you know, she's been widowed for many years. Um, you know, Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. Is Stan Sitwell married? Well, I, I don't know. Cause they don't, they know they don't really kind of get into it, but they imply that this bungalow here is meant to be, um, you know, the same as the cottage for George, George Sr. Like that seems to be the parallel oh, they're yeah. drawing and i d- and i don't know why it's like why would they need this location that they had together like it seems i don't know it seems it seems like just another thing that they've kind of thrown out there and uh, they haven't really kind of paid attention to some of the stuff from previous seasons on that um but yeah. I, it still re- it still remains part probably my favorite part of this episode um because like i said the rest of the episode is a lot of michael going Backwards and forwards between locations. Um, And I kind of understand that they've got the Jason Bateman is like the one cast member that they've kind of guaranteed to have in every single episode. Um, But it feels like they're putting a lot of work on him kind of going backwards and forwards and also relying a lot on the whole, you know, Michael keeps leaving. Don't worry, he'll be back joke, Um, which I feel worked successfully at the end of season one and beginning of season two. And again, at the end of season two and beginning of season three. Because, you know, obviously that was like cliffhangers to, you know, the actual show. And kind of, so that kind of made sense. But just having it basically every single episode where people are like, you know, Michael being like, I'm going and everyone being like, I oh, don't worry, he'll be back. It feels like they're yeah. too in on the joke. Um, and, you know, I, it, I don't feel like it works fully. Um, but, you know, I, I, I again, I, I mean, I really enjoy kind of Jason Bateman, you know, as... Um, you know, as Michael Bluth. And I think, um, you know, he's kind of a little bit more back to his kind of straight man role in this, you know, in season five, more than he was in season four, where I think the burden of him being in pretty much every single episode meant that he had to kind of take some character turns and, you know, kind of to interact with certain characters, he had to kind of end up being a bit more villainous than necessary. Um, whereas here he's kind of left to do a lot more kind of exposition, Um, and so, you know, when he kind of goes to the office at the beginning and he kind of, he's on, he like, he's on the wrong floor because Job has moved them up to the next level, which literally means one floor up in the building, (laughs) um, which, you know, like, I, I mean, you know, that's kind of classic Arrested Development kind of punning where, um, you know, he, the, the narrator even says,
1: you know, the Bluth company has been taken to the next level and. Well, and they undid this right before they one of the employees recommended that they move down a floor uh, because they're on the penthouse of a really expensive building and, yeah. and they do it and save a whole bunch of money when, when Michael's out of the office and now a- I mean, if they're in the same building, now they're moving back up. Like they're doing exactly the opposite thing. Undoing like the one moment of fiscal (laughs) responsibility. Yeah. But Uh, I really like one joke up there where they're saying, you know, see the roof of the Rite Aid. But then he says it used to be a two hour teeth. And then he said it must have closed when the 90 minute tooth opened up across the street. And then he said, well, the blockbusters becoming an hour mouth, so they got to be shaking or something. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love – it's kind of similar to like a joke in uh, – there's something about Mary where he's talking about seven-minute abs and then it's like six-minute <laughs> abs. And then and he's like, but what if someone invents five-minute abs? And he just like flips out and says, there's no way. No one works out in five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the five hour energy thing. And then it was like six hour, seven hour, you know, like all these things where you just take a number and just add on to it and be like, isn't that better? You know, Even though you don't know. Us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: So I do. I, uh, yeah, I kind of, I do kind of like that. Um, yeah. That you have the two out the two hour teeth obviously is um, uh, the, the, I, I'm trying to figure out if the yeah, they were above, weren't they? Cause Michael, when, when they, when he goes into the two hour teeth, which is now their new offices, he goes, Oh yeah, I remember the screams. <laughs> Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, which I think is a good gag. I should say as well. Later on in the season, we actually see the ninety-minute teeth um, uh, shop. Uh, but what's happened? Oh. What's happened is there's no like there's all you see is the dirt around where a sign used to be because obviously it's closed down. <laughs> um, so they kind of follow through on that. That's joke. a good pay Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I uh, this is kind of this is kind of where you know we get Michael going backwards and forwards between the model home um and um well i mean first of all you know he he kind of runs into tobias pretending to be george michael and i do kind of like i mean i i'm not a big fan of this kind of this weird storyline that they gave tobias for this season uh, the fact that he has like the dyed sideburns and mustache for like the whole season is really weird because obviously that's meant to be a call out to the fact that david cross himself didn't have a mustache but wore a mustache to play Tobias in the first three seasons, um, Mm -hmm. uh, including that extremely kind of elaborate joke where, when he was playing Mrs. Featherbottom, he would wear kind of handlebar mustaches when he wasn't Mrs. Featherbottom because he'd shaved his mustache off, even though he never had a mustache in the first place. Um, so there's this whole, so I don't, I don't even know if David Cross like grew a mustache and sideburns and then they just dyed them for the entire season, or if he's wearing a fake dyed mustache, which would just be the next kind of level of, of that joke. Um, But this whole thing with him being the different characters because he wants to be a member of the family is such a weird kind of like joke um, that I like I don't I don't even know that I I ever feel that it lands because even by the final episode, they don't really pay this off like properly. Um, So it's just kind of weird that he like desperately wants to be a Bluth. And when he says be a Bluth, he literally means he'll play the role of any Bluth that you know he like that he's asked to do and so obviously first of all he's george michael um which is really funny because he's literally wearing like the um you know the banana stand shirt and uh, trousers and i do like the physical business when he's trying to get off the top of the bunk bed
1: and he can't quite figure out <laughs> how to get off um which i guess he's got the headgear from the star wars video too. <laughs> yeah like the, like the flashback video yeah, it's, like, it's
0: like an extra level of detail that that kind of isn't needed because I don't think we ever really saw George Michael wearing that headgear much, maybe one or two scenes in the entire three seasons. So it's, it's kind of weird. Um, But yeah, I like when he tries to get down because I think this is meant to recall when he was, um, you know, when he was sleeping in that room with George Michael and obviously he would climb down wearing his um, (laughs) cutoffs. And obviously this ended up exposing more to George Michael than he really wanted to see. So I think that the kind of him struggling to get down from there is meant to be a little bit of a callback to that. Um, but yeah, and I do kind of like how, when he sits, he sits down and he goes to Michael, sit, 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 And he just keeps saying it <laughs> until eventually like George, you know, Michael just sits down and then, and then kind of has to get off his hand. And then again, like I like the physical stuff that David Cross does, you know, he's like in the first three seasons, he was always a really good kind of physical comedian. You know, he took a lot of kind of falls and stuff. And I think they're trying to kind of do that again. But obviously, David Cross is like 10 years older and a little less capable of doing some of the physical comedy stuff he did in the original run. So they they kind of limit him a little bit to what they can do.
1: Yeah, I mean, he had some great lines in here too, like some of his classic... Uh, uh... You know, double entendres and stuff like, like. not only are you finding me in your son's pants, but you're also finding out how the sausage is made. Yeah. And then, uh, it says, uh, let's face it, no one was buying me as a straight man. <laughs> and then Michael says, it was a little off brand. Yeah. And then I like when he says, Lindsay has, how does Gwyneth Paltrow say, consciously uncuckled me. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> Instead of uncoupled
0: the, con- the, the conscious uncuckled is probably one of my favorite things in the entire season. Um, but yeah, I do like as well when he says, you're finding out how the sausage is made. And Michael goes, I don't understand anything of what you just said. Um, and I think kind of like what he what he's talking about, obviously, you know, the sausage being made is basically him getting in character along with his son, um, Murphy Brown. Like that's that's the sausage that's being made. But obviously, Michael has no comprehension of what they are doing. Um, and of course, he says, you know, that he wants to put his uh, his therapist leggings on, uh, which I think is a callback to when he used to say his um, his therapist stocking. Um, which obviously implied <laughs> yeah. he was putting it over his head, particularly when he ha- obviously had his uh, narrow-pissed cards. Um, so, yeah. so obviously, I th- you know that's a kind of less threatening thing to put on than a stocking. Um, so, I yeah, but I I mean I don't know I don't know that we get a great deal out of these kind of Tobias as other people scenes. Um, you know, he plays somebody else kind of like later on in in the episode as well, and I I like I don't know that we really get much from the that exchange as well, like it's funny seeing David cross kind of trying to do these different characters. Um, and I think, uh, is it Kyle Mooney? That's the, the SNL guy. Who's, um, who's playing his son. Um, the, the the suspiciously named Murphy Brown. Um, Mm-hmm. and again i don't think carl mooney is given a great deal to do like when he comes in and he's like you know i'm your son and he goes no you're not my son he's like you're, you're my father <laughs> and obviously carl mooney's character is per- like permanently confused throughout the entire show as to what tobias is trying to do um and so you know which i think is funny but at the same time it kind of str- for me like i don't know that he really adds a huge amount to this season Um, And it kind of strange credulity that he would still kind of go along with Tobias's weird schemes when, you know, we basically find out he's a fully qualified doctor. Um, Like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, he's a a fully qualified doctor. And obviously, um, you know, uh, debris is also, you know, is a qualified lawyer. And it's like these people are being forced to be actors by Tobias. And it's like it's such a weird kind of thing. And it's like, I don't, I understand why debris would go, would go along with it in season four, because obviously she's also a drug addict. Um, and so, but I don't understand why Murphy Brown is going along with any of this, like for, for season five, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like his character is, uh, you know, obviously this, the, the whole point of rest of development is t- for stuff to be slightly kind of cartoonish. Um, but Kyle Mooney isn't really bringing anything that I kind of believe about this character. And also he doesn't seem mm-hmm. to understand half of what Tobias is saying, which obviously is a joke that, you know, is is played for the rest of the show anyway. But at least the other characters kind of have a grasp on what Tobias is trying to do, whereas it feels a lot like Carl Mooney is just standing there and not understanding what's happening. And it just, I don't know, it just doesn't work for me as a character, um, you know, and I, I, like, I think most of the stuff that Tobias is doing in this season would work fine without him as well. Like, I think, it—it it, like dragging him along... And it's kind of telling that, you know, once the exchange finishes and, you know, Michael is out of the room, um, you know, because I mean, I do like Tobias when he's when he, he's trying to do an impression of George Michael and he his voice goes way too high. And he goes, uh, he goes, yes, I did start out too high. Let's let's bring everyone down an octave. And then he tries with a slightly lower voice. <laughs> um, but then I like how, you know, like the narrator is basically almost saying the same thing where once Michael leaves and we, we have this argument between Murphy Brown and Tobias, he says, why are we staying here? <laughs> and, then, and then he like, and then the, 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 we leave. And and I think that's kind of the point is like, I don't know why, um, you know, this character is in this season or what it kind of, it doesn't really feel like it brings anything um, that interesting. Um, you know, uh, certainly from my point of view, like whenever I watch these episodes, like I, you know, having watched this season a couple of times through, I, I almost completely forget that Carl Mooney was even in this show. And then when I'm watching it, I'm yeah. like, oh yeah. And then I every time he enters, I almost forget exactly what his character is meant to be, um, you know. And I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like he adds a huge amount.
1: Yeah, they they really don't sell the stakes for anything Tobias is doing. And if at least if in the movie part, if he were just doing it for the movie and they were continuing that or something, that that would make some sense. But he's just trying to be a part of the family, and I, I think that one uh flaw that that the season makes is introducing these uh character motivations that you as the audience don't care if they achieve or not because it's a silly comedy and then spending a lot of scenes just working on that instead of making a good joke yeah uh and like this feels like that too it's like i honestly it feels like a practical thing like they lost barky bark and they just had to get a new character in there to like have people to talk to (laughs) like so they just grab someone new (laughs) yeah (laughs) um
0: and i i think i think as well you know we kind of we get to the kind of main point of this episode which is when tobias says you know my number one rule is don't tell michael what to do and that little that kind of hesitation um you know it it leads michael who is you know (laughs) continuing his job as um he was like a driver for you know an unnamed um you know internet giant um in in season four and he's continuing that because he's going to be mapping the ocean floor uh, which is funny because it sounds like something that like Google might do, but then it's like it's pointless. Like, why would you map the ocean floor? No one's gonna need it for directions. Like, I understand sending a car <laughs> around with cameras on top to map roads. That makes sense as a concept, but mapping the ocean floor is kind of stupid. Um, but I like how Michael's kind of I don't know this wind maritime thing that they've given to him when he arrives and he's like, oh, it's gonna be a fourteen bell delay. <laughs> it's so like like he's and in the last season they had the whole explanation of you know like six bells and all is well and all that kind of stuff so I like how he's kind of keeping that as like a, a time measurement thing whenever he's doing anything in maritime and he ends up you know um getting kind of stuck on the ocean floor with the the thing that he's going to be mapping the ocean floor and when he emerges he he is by coincidence at the cottage. Um, and I love how this woman comes along and is like, oh, it's, you know, a lovely house. You know, it, it's really, you know, it's really nice and all this kind of stuff. And he goes, yeah, that's my, when my wife died. She had ovarian cancer. And then the woman <laughs> kind of takes a kid and runs away from him. And I just, I kind of love, I kind of love how he can't, he
1: can't help himself from like talking about that. Uh, it's such, I, I don't know. Either- Tobias just said that he never talks about it. And now he's like just telling a stranger it's totally inappropriate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, because he says, you know, you never talk about Tracy, you know, running
0: away. And of course, he's like, that's not what happened. <laughs> and it's just, uh, which, again, I guess that's a callback to when, you know, he, he he. you know, Tobias is kind of saying to Michael, you know, oh, I guess you're the marriage expert. <laughs> and then kind of going on about how his wife died and and then realizing that he's you know kind of gone too far. Um, But, yeah, I I mean, obviously, the the establishment of the fact that they've got the cottage is, you know, it's a funny gag. Uh, The fact that, you know, the first rule is don't put any towels on the floor and the second is don't tell Michael. Um, And how basically everybody but Michael has been coming to this cottage on a regular basis. Um, And this will obviously set up something, you know, for later on in basically for the final episode of the season, which is, uh, you know, this is there's a point where, um, you know, Lucille looks at the stairs and says, that's where my mother died. And then there's kind of an ominous tone. And then, you know, they just kind of move
1: on. Um, Job was born here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So a lot of... She puts those as equally traumatic events. Job being born there and her mother dying. A lot of bad memories in that place. Um, But yeah, and and obviously... Did you see what it's called? I didn't catch that. What was it called? On, On the sign where it has the rules, it says Escondite. And I looked that up in Spanish. It means hiding place.
0: <laughs> See, I knew I knew there was a name, but I couldn't I couldn't remember what it translated to. Um, yeah, so we are <laughs> literally in the hiding place. Again, Like the, the, I feel like the back half of this episode, there's not a huge amount in it. You know, Joe buys a trophy store because of course he does. Um, and he then gets a gigantic anchor that he spends his time painting gold in the one bedroom, which is just a funny, like he's got this weird thing that he wants to give his dad this gigantic prize and it's going to be a huge gold anchor. Um, and we obviously know that's not going to turn out well because I don't think George Senior is that bothered. And then, of course, you know Michael ends up going back to the model home. I don't know why he's between the home, you know, the home and the cottage so quickly. He also has a few discussions with people about how did they get past the guards. And of course, he goes, "I came in from the sea." And George Senior was like, "I told them he it, 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 they would come from the sea." <laughs> so it's like, um, and then we get the weird introduction of um, of Dusty, uh, who is a member of the Newport Beach Bay Boys. Um, who fiercely defend this beach, um, and this is apparently this is like a real this is like a real reference. Um, there is a there's a group of people called the uh, Leonardo Bay Boys, um, and they apparently uh, they defend the town of Palos Verdes, and they've got like they throw rocks at people, and they've got like a clubhouse shack on the beach, and th- everything is basically this is just a huge kind of reference to that. Uh, which I guess for anybody who kind of lives in California, maybe they know about it. But for me, I was like, okay, like this, like the entire, <laughs> it, I like, I feel like Dusty doesn't really kind of, as a character, I, I, you know, I don't think they really get, do that much with him until kind of like the, the second half of the season. Here he's just kind of introduced as somebody who Lucille might hook up with. Um, and I think you know Dermot Mulroney is an okay comic actor like you know he's okay in rom-coms and stuff but I just like I don't know that he's really suited to like the the tone of Arrested Development um, and, and yeah. also his wig is a little too kind of fake I mean they could have dyed his hair or something it would have looked a bit like Dermot Mulroney's got a good head of hair I think these days actually his hair is pretty much the same colour as this wig anyway um, but it's just weird <laughs> that they went with the choice of a wig. But it just looks so unrealistic, and it just it just makes me feel like the character isn't real. Like it just feels like somebody wearing a wearing a wig, basically. Um, you know. Uh, and so it's I don't know and the episode doesn't really like it doesn't have like a big finish or anything like it just kind of finishes after a discussion between you know Michael and George Senior and talk about you know like the uh, talk about Dusty and all that kind of stuff and then the, the show just finishes there isn't even on, on the next um, you know the show just kind of kind of comes to an end with just like this conversation in the, the kind of the model home um, and it's, it's kind of weird because it's like I don't know I was a little disappointed at the end I was like You know, it also felt a lot like Michael kind of going backwards and forwards just one time too many. (laughs) I'm like, like, oh, like in this, it seems like he's done all this in the in the space of one day. And it just it just felt like a lot of kind of back and forth and exposition from him. And, um, you know, the narrator maybe being used a little bit too much to kind of paper over stuff because it just felt like stuff was really kind of going backwards and forwards. Um, Although I did like the stuff in The Office where. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you've got the, uh, I can't remember the name of the guy now who, who's like the, the, the one employee that's left over from, um, Uh, he's, what his job was the, well, he's uh, the compliance officer. officer. Yeah. But Job keeps calling him the compliant officer and the fact that they've moved the kind of boardroom table into his office. So he can't get in. Um, (laughs) And I also like how Job kind of gives away the fact that they're paying more when, when you know, he's like, "Oh, you can see the roof of the right aid," and he goes, "Yes, well, you know, that's the the fourteen thousand a month question." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um, I, I, what I like is um, obviously the compliance officer will give us probably one of the better running gags, which is Job learning out how, how to kind of learning how to say a thousand in shorthand. Um, And he basically starts saying K a lot after that. Um, But yeah, I don't know. The end of the episode didn't feel particularly like remarkable. Like, you know, um, you know, George Sr. being worried about, you know, like, you know, Lucille having an affair and all that kind of stuff is just, I don't know. It feels like it's been done a few times before now. Um, And George Sr. has obviously cheated on her as well. So it's like, you know, we've already kind of seen all this play out with Oscar in season four um you know and I don't even feel like he's paying attention like it seems like they're having a conversation and neither of them are listening to the other one uh while Michael's going on about Rebel and George Senior's going on about Dusty and it's like I think we've seen this we've seen this a few times before now where you know George Sr doesn't pay attention to Michael and I don't know it just didn't feel mm-hmm. like anything new
1: well, well Lucille did have a really great cutting line I thought which was with, with Michael she heard about him getting punched and he says i'm not the only one who, whose son has a nasty left hook <laughs> <laughs> oh that was pretty good yeah. and i like when she offers dusty a glass of breakfast wine
0: <laughs> yeah. i think yeah. Lu- lucille so, so- pretty
1: much kills it in all these scenes um uh,
0: Yeah, I I think she's given a bit more to do this season because, I I mean, I don't know if it was just the fact that um, Jeffrey Tambor was still filming some stuff for Transparent, that they reduced his role a little bit. But it feels like there's a lot more of her um, in this particular season, Uh, you know, between her and Jason Bateman. They feel like the two kind of main and they've obviously kind of structured the storylines around that as well. It feels like there's a lot more kind of conflict between the two of them. Um, in this episode and in this first half of the season. Well, I was thinking about what you
1: said about the other seasons having those season arcs as well, and I I agree with that. I, I think probably the difference is that when those other shows, because they were on network, each show had to have its own little plot too that resolved like what is the plot of this episode michael just goes around and learns things about the various plots that are going on but that's it like there's no there's no arc to this story there's not even an ending like you said he just kind of abruptly stops because they're like all right now we've got enough uh groundwork on the cottage and uh tobias dressing up so let's move on to the next episode (laughs) and that's that leaves you kind of feeling unsatisfied there's no way you can watch one episode and be like oh that was a story you know it's it's all yeah it's all just pieces of a thing it's like it's like a really really long movie that they filmed all in pieces and so they don't even know if a, if a plot is really paying off because uh because they don't know how it's going to seem till the end i think
0: there's also one more kind of like in joke which is uh the guy uh playing the lunchtime looter um who obviously was successful in his lawsuit against the cornballer and managed to get himself <laughs> a, uh, a house uh is played by a guy called uh steve whitting um, and he co-starred with uh, Jason Bateman on the uh, the sitcom the Hogan family um, so oh. that's uh, so yeah so that's a nice little inside joke if you know who the guy is but yeah uh, is there anything else that needs to be said about this episode or do you feel like we've uh, pretty much covered it
1: I think we nailed it we took care yeah. of this one <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, okay well uh, normally I would do like an on the
1: next but there is no on the next so Uh, let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug? Well, I do a podcast about each episode of the office called the off five with a V. uh, And I do one about Calvin and Hobbes called the Calvin and Hobbes cast. So if you're interested, check those out Um, in office. We're about season halfway through season three. So, and you long way to go. You can find
0: us on uh, Twitter at a huge mistake pod um, and on Facebook at a huge mistake I've made a huge mistake I think is is what you can find us on on Facebook um well thanks very much for being my guest for this episode today Nate thank you for having me and otherwise goodbye bye-bye